How does creating the life of your dreams in 2016 sound? Or what about helping someone else do the same? With Christmas approaching, the well and new range of inspirational products is all inspiring. Choose from vision board kits, a gratitude box, a John box, coaching packages, and more. Gifts start from just $5. To find out more, simply go to wellandyou.com. That's W-E-L-L-I-N-E-U-X.com. And click on the Christmas catalog to help make 2016 incredible for you and the people you care about. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara. Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. Oh, and I'm the one introducing today, aren't I? I usually go straight back to Karen, but... Today I'm doing the introduction and and the reason why is that I have a little story about our guest today and our guest is Margaret Bridgeford. And I don't know what time of the month, like, you know, what month it was in this year that I was, I remember a conversation that was, would you have a read of this book and do a little, hey, this is a great book if you like it um, type of, you know, statement. and. I remember this happening. Anyway, Casey came home a couple of days ago and I decided, oh, I better clean her bedroom up. And so I was in her bedroom and I was cleaning it up and I came across this manuscript. And the manuscript said, eat, think, heal. And I went, oh, I like the thought of that. I really like um, what it sounds like. And so I started to read it. And all of a sudden I'm reading it and I'm going, I know this story. I know this story. Somebody's told me I had to read this. Why is it up in Casey's room and why haven't I read this? So I read it that morning and I then got online and you know you can find anybody online and I looked for the author, which was Margaret Bridgeford, and I rang her and I apologised profusely that I never got around to reading her manuscript but I was reading it now and I thought that it would be really nice for her story to be told to the people that listen to us. And I think Margaret's is a story of transformation, of paradigm shifts, of um, of families that have gotten sick and gotten well. And I think there's a lot of families out there at the moment that are like that. And so I think that Margaret's story is one of hope as well. And um, I sent the chapters of her book, um, each of the chapter headings of the book to Karen. And I said, Karen, what, you know, you're going to be excited about this. <laughs> she's really, she's really excited. So welcome, Margaret. Thank you very much, Cindy. Hello, ladies. Hello. Um, Margaret, it is such an honor and a treat to have you on the show. I think I've got like a million things that I want to know about you. I'm so excited, Cindy! You, you are a legend, my friend. I just want to put that out there right now. <laughs> well, I was so excited when I read the story. So I think we should start with Margaret's story and uh, why she started to write the book. Because I know she wrote it as musings at first, and then told her family about it, and they said, "Keep writing, Mum. Keep writing." So um, could you just tell where you're from? Um, what you did, where you, like just that that beginning story. Let's start there. Okay, sure. Um, so the title of the book is Eat, Think, Heal, One Family's Story of Discovering the Healing Powers of Food and Thought. And um, 
it began, uh, I started writing the book when I was reflecting back on many aspects of our lives. We lived for 20 years as a family uh, on the Darling Downs, which is a very fertile soil uh, about three hours west of Brisbane. And we lived there as farmers and um, we ran what is in modern day terms a traditional farming business, which you would describe as an industrial farming model if you were looking at it from a more uh, health-directed perspective. So we, um, we had broadacre farming, we grew, we grew grains, we had cattle, we had cotton and we used a lot of chemical and a lot of fertiliser and um, tried to run our farming business as efficiently and as effectively as possible and dominate nature as much as possible so we could yield as much and et cetera, et cetera. And um, that's, that's what we did for 20 years. And then we subsequently left because we were emotionally drained and this, the, our land was um, maybe emotionally drained as well, but our land was drained and we were drained and we um, took some time off and started to reflect and then life took a different path for us. So that's the beginning of it. <laughs> what, a fascinating, what a fascinating way to refer to the way that you related to your business and your farm is that you had to dominate nature. I'm very, I, I just heard myself go, wow, as you said that. Yes. Explain a little bit it's about. <laughs> yeah, just just explain a little bit about that in terms of the, the the thought process around the necessity to do that, and whether that was ever even successful. Like, did, did that work? Was is that an option? Is that possible? Yeah. Um, well, the thought process around it is that modern farming systems are run that way, um, and that's what we learn. We learn how to increase our yield and we learn how to uh, reduce our weeds and um, get rid of the insects and we learn how to do that by adding artificial fertiliser, by using pesticides to kill the insects and by using um, herbicides to kill the weeds. And right. when you're learning to, to uh, farm, that's how you're taught to do it. And that's what we did and we did it extremely well. We ran a very, very cutting-edge, modern, um, efficient farming business, one of, the, one of the best of its type. And that's the extraordinary um, situation, I guess, that we found ourselves in, that on the one hand we were so successful in inverted commas and on the other hand um, my husband was watching our soil's capacity drain away and need more and more artificial inputs every year. And uh, I was watching our family's health drain away and need more and more artificial inputs every year. And um, eventually we took a break without really knowing, you know, we just felt we needed a break from it all. And then we, uh, from that I, um, I found myself then working in quite contrast with a wonderful, wonderful company in Queensland which um, is an education company that trains farmers in running natural farming systems rather than um, the modern industrial farming systems. And um, I found myself uh, involved in this organisation and then it gave me the opportunity to learn a different side and take a reflection on what it is that we had been doing and join a few dots of questions that had been happening in our lives. Yeah. So could you, could you just talk about... Um, 
because when I was reading your book, this is what really stood out. Well, there were quite a few things that stood out for me. But one of the things that stood out for me was the segregation of animals and plants. So mm. in modern agriculture, we see either growers or we see people who are actually doing animals. So can you mm. talk about that separation and segregation and how mm. that has causing a real problem? Mm, sure. Well, actually, um, there's probably a step before that that helps to create the picture. Um, the step before that is understanding the, the link that occurs in a natural process between a plant and the soil and the involvement of the animal in that natural process. And that link is that um, when they are allowed to just live in their natural way without artificial fertilisers, the, the roots of the plant actually then draw the minerals up from the soil, draw the minerals up into the plant which the animals eat and people eat. And so that's where we access our minerals from. When we add artificial fertiliser to that process, uh, there's a long explanation, but the short of it is that the plants stop drawing the minerals from the soil because all of a sudden they're getting the minerals from the they're getting the fertilizer from the artificial fertilizer, and they grow lush and green on the surface, but then underneath they're not actually a healthy plant because they're not drawing the minerals. And so we eat something that looks lush and green, but in fact there's very little goodness in it, and that explanation in itself helps to explain a lot of why modern food is so limited in its vitamin and mineral content. And that's been happening since about the 1950s after the Second World War when uh, Michael Pollan did a lot of research on this in uh, The Omnivore's Dilemma. And um, since about the Second World War, we've been using uh, nitrogen as an artificial fertilizer and that is what's interrupted that natural process. So in the short term, it's increased the yield and it's made everything look green. In the long term, it's reduced the quality of the soil substantially. Margaret, can I ask you, throughout that time of, of doing this as such and being taught that this is the way to do what we need to do to the land to get the greatest yield, was yeah. there any point in those 20 years where intrinsically, intuitively, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, you felt it was wrong? I don't know that we necessarily thought about it at that, at that heartfelt level so completely. We did know that something was wrong. I don't think that we knew specifically what. We, we knew that things were deteriorating, but we didn't really know that it was because we were using. We saw that we were using more artificial fertilisers, but we didn't really know that that could actually be the reason. And we saw that, you know, that our family's health wasn't strong, but we didn't directly connect that. And, it, and yet we knew that it wasn't a, we weren't in a sustainable model for a family and we weren't in a sustainable model for us. But when you take one step in front of the other and you know that this is the way you're going to get a better yield next year, this is the way you're going to, you know, pay the debt and all of that sort of thing, well, you're, you're in a bit of a treadmill. And I guess it was extreme adversity that took us off that treadmill and often that's true in life, that it is adversity that gives one the opportunity to reflect. If we don't hit um, barriers in our lives, we probably stay on the treadmill and we need to be so grateful to barriers because I think that, that sort of sudden thump 
uh, really gives us the opportunity to say, well, what's actually happening here? And in our case, that sudden thump was um, particularly my husband's health. He had um, developed chronic fatigue and uh, a lot about our lives was sort of tumbling down around us over a period of several years. And eventually we just made the choice that it was important to take a break and we made a decision to just take one year and um, subsequently uh, we came to learn so much and look back on what we had been doing in good faith in believing that we were growing food to feed the world and feeling good about that. And then really having the realisation that um, maybe we were growing food to feed the world but maybe it wasn't good food and maybe it wasn't a good environment for our family and maybe it wasn't that good for the soil. And so it took, us, took me on a bit of a tumble turn as I started to uh, join all the dots and work out perhaps some of the cause and effects that were happening in our lives and I continued to do more research and um, the consequence was our story and the sort of background research that's gone with it. Mm. You know, I think that that's what you're saying there, Margaret, is, is pretty much the, the, the truth for most people is that everybody is innocent. Everybody's just doing what they think is best. Everybody's just doing what they believe to be true, right and real based mm. on what they've learned or what's been handed down or based on our conditioning or our, our cultural norms, you know. And I think you're so spot on when you say that it's those barriers or those challenges that elevate us out of the spiral that we're so conditioned with that we don't know any better from and we do have to be grateful for those challenges but I think for the most part you know we see challenges as the greatest pain in the freckle rather than the greatest opportunity for a reinvestment of ourselves in the learning process of what else is possible and I take my hat off to you for diving so deep into the research process that you literally transformed everything in your entire life and the way that you think and your whole family went on the ride with you. That's profound. <laughs> yeah, and, mm, thanks. Cindy, you, you always say a mother will make the, will, will always be the greatest researcher and she'll always mm. be the one who will instigate change and this is no different, is it? No, no different. You know, I, I've always said that, that mothers... And parents, but more mothers for some reason, are the ones that fight like lionesses for the health of their children usually and then for their, you know, and their loved ones. And uh, it sounds like that, you know, that's what Margaret's done. And in the meantime, she's written this eloquent, riveting book that I, I, I said to Margaret last yesterday, I said, you write like Jess Ainscoe. Whenever I listened to Jess or read Jess Ainsco's material, I couldn't stop. She was, she was that writer that made you want to keep going and listen, you know, listen to what she was saying. And um, Margaret's book is the same. It's one of those books I, I didn't, I couldn't put down until I had to put it down because I had to go to work, uh, and I have a few deadlines at the moment, so I needed to get out of bed and um, and stop reading. So I haven't completely finished it, but I'm I'm almost there. You know, one of the things that you wrote about was Pottinger's cats Mm. and I just would love you to explain about Pottinger's cats because 
When I go to your table, I did have your table up with how much nutrition that we have lost since the 1940s. So uh, can I read this, Margaret, your table? And sure, then, go for it. Can mm. you then talk about Pottage's Cats? Because sure. 1940 is at least four generations. So we're at Pottinger's Cats, I think. But anyway, so if we look at the depletion of um, our minerals in our fruit from 1940 to 1991, so this, you know, when you think about what's happened between 1991 and 2015, you know, Roundup has become um, a, a huge part of the diet, uh, a huge part of, sorry, chemical spraying. And one of the things we know about Roundup is that it stops the, the um, minerals being taken up from the soil to the uh, plant. So we know that since then, this will be far more. So with um, the fruit, it was sodium's down 29%, zinc's down 27%, magnesium 16%, potassium 19%, copper 20%, calcium 16%, iron 24%. And when you and in the veggies, calcium's 46%, copper's 46%. Think of this, guys. These are huge numbers. Potassium 16%, magnesium is 24%. That's why we need your sprays, Kim. Mm-hmm. Zinc is 59. Now, zinc, this is something that a lot of people, B6 and zinc are two mineral, a mineral and a vitamin that a lot of people are, are low on. So with this in mind and knowing this is since the 1940s, would you explain Pottage's cats, that experiment that was done? Yeah, sure. Um, so Dr. Pottinger uh, conducted an experiment with um, – Five groups of cats over four generations and one group of cats was the control group and they were fed normal cat's diet of raw milk, raw meat with some cod liver oil and every other group was fed some diminished version of a normal cat's diet with more processed food in increasingly across the groups until the final group was only fed some form of um, um, sort of really processed milk of that, and, that, and that's it basically. So they got they were really really deteriorated as they went through. And the purpose of that experiment was to see the effect of diet on cats and their social um, abilities, their structural formation, and their capacity to uh, reproduce. And over four generations. Um, the least, min, the the, the um, group of cats that were fed the worst quality diet, by the time they got to the fourth generation, they could no longer reproduce, and they were, and the group before that was um, dying uh, early in life, and then the group before that had social, uh, they their socially they had um, tr- trouble working as a group, and structurally they lost their proper bodily formations in various ways around their jaws and various things. And so it went on until you went up to the control group, which maintained perfect social behaviour, perfect structural form, perfect reproduction. And uh, it was a very uh, stark example of the impact of our food intake on our capacity as individuals in society and our capacity, our, our health and well-being as individuals, just as a one creature and and, yeah. and the generational um, impact is amazing and then the generational impact which can subsequently be described as the effect of epigenetics we they didn't the word epigenetics didn't exist then and 
it's really come into the fore um, with the book called The Biology of Belief, mm -hmm. which is a most wonderful book, uh, as that the effect of our food and our thoughts, in fact, impact the way our DNA responds. And so it really demonstrates the environmental effect that happens and that impacts our DNA. And um, it's not all about what we inherit. It's actually also about what we do with our lives, the food we eat and the thoughts we um, allow to uh, process through our bodies and minds that impact so much on um, our capacity socially and our ability to reproduce and then the subsequent generations are affected by that. And it's quite, I mean, you sort of read that and you go, oh, my goodness, there's just so much that we have to be aware of. And sometimes you can be a bit scared by it, but other times I think you just say, well, we just take one step forward and every step is a step in the right direction. Yeah, agreed. One step forward is what we need to do. And I think mm. the most important thing is awareness. And I, I feel that uh, what your book will do is create an aware, awareness because it's a succinct book of telling the story of the family, then your research, and um, and then, you know, what you then went on to do to, I guess, heal your husband. Was this, is this, you went and read The Anatomy of an Illness by Norman Cousins and and the whole yeah. procedure. Do you want to explain where, how did you get from, how did you leap from, okay, <laughs> wow, you know, the soils and, and um, our animals and our food and the chemicals that we're using. And actually, before we go there, can I was really shocked when I read this and um, I said to Margaret, I cannot believe that they do this. So um, she said that they um, put a chemical on the grain before they start the germination process, so before it's planted, so that the ants don't eat it before it's germinated. And I, that, that just shocked me. I just, I didn't know that. Mm. And the chemical that we used is a pretty savage chemical too. It's um, recognised as needing very high level um, protection while you're actually using it. So mm. it's, it is pretty amazing. You sort of go right back to that and say, did we really believe that that wasn't going to affect the end result of the plant and we either didn't think about it or we did believe that it wouldn't affect it. I'm not sure which. Yeah. Mm. So, so how did you make, so what happened? How did you go from, okay, we need to um, change what we're doing um, mm. because I've seen photos on your Facebook page where, you know, you're doing the most amazing gardens. Um, and, and I, but, I, but how did you make that leap from, oh, Sorry, trust my neighbour to start the mower. <laughs> I thought Karen was having a motorbike ride no, past her no, no, as she no, was uh, driving to the airport. The mower. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, so I might have to go on mute if he starts it again. But, yeah, how did you um, make that leap and what, what instigated that leap to where you are now? Mm. Well, that leap, it, it wasn't a leap as such, of course. Most things in life are... Um, you know, they gradually look back and you go, wow, I've come from there to there. That's pretty incredible. When we left the farm and I started working with this wonderful company that I described, this company teaches the Alan Savory grazing management principles, which are well known to a lot of people. They're the grazing management principles that actually engage with the mineral cycle and engage with the water cycle and um, have tremendous capacity to convert uh, deserted landscape into uh, lush pasture. It's a remarkable way of farming. 
And I um, worked with this company and was, in fact, the CEO of that training company for six years. So that, that is amazing in itself that I went from being an industrial farmer to being the CEO for a natural farming company within a space of 12 months. And uh, I learned so much while I was there. And the, the, one of the values of an organisation like that, which is um, run by a gentleman by the name of Dr Terry McCosker and it's based here in Queensland and um, one of the values of being in an organisation like that is that the network of farmers who participate in these methods of farming are actually very committed individuals in principle to the values that they uh, engage in. And I learned so much just by being around all of these farmers who work this way. And part of what I learned uh, was about sort of listening to the land and listening to the human body. And one of the farmers presented to a network um, a method of vibrational healing that in fact uh, has now become quite used within the network a method of vibrational healing that actually made me realise that there's so much that we can do for ourselves if only we stop and listen and uh, take stock and allow ourselves to contact nature in really simple ways and these methods of contacting nature can just be through sound and um, it made a big difference to the way we viewed the world and it made a big difference to, over time, our overall health. And so we pursued that as part of our um, adventure, I guess, into this new world of knowing. And we had, we had illness in the family in uh, several of our, in obviously with Bill, and I was emotionally exhausted and um, our children had autoimmune conditions and various other conditions and we decided that we were going to try all manner of things to um, try to put us on a more healthier path and um, that's how that part of the process began. It's, it's parallel, so parallel with farming. The human body and the soil are so parallel and there's quite a bit in the book of some work done by Dr Christine Jones where she parallels the bones in the human body and the structure of the human soil. And I found that just totally fascinating how each actually works with the other. What do, what do and, you mean the human soil? Human oh, sorry, the soil. Human oh. bones and the soil. Beg oh, your pardon. Okay, great. So there you are. I think of them oh. as one and the same. Yes, no, I was thinking <laughs> I of... I put them in the same sentence. Yes, I was thinking of human soiling or something going on. No, there. sorry. <laughs> um, uh, soil and human bones. Sorry. vibrational healing. Yes, I was going to say the same thing. Oh, my gosh, don't go over that bit. Okay. Um, so the vibrational healing is uh, that, goodness, it, it's a whole world in itself. There's a most fantastic book written by Dr. Richard Gerber, which is called Vibrational Medicine. And Dr. Gerber is of the view that most modern medical practitioners um, view the body as a mechanistic body where there's direct cause and effect in everything that happens. And he is of the view, and that's the, um, you know, I, I suppose it's the old model. He is of the view that the, the Einsteinian model, where matter is energy, um, is that the human body is in fact an energetic framework before it is a physical framework. And he provides all sorts of explanation behind this, and I've picked up on some of that in the book where the energetic framework of the body in fact forms right at the very beginning um, at conception and 
it grows and the physical body grows around that energetic framework. That's um, perhaps a little bit to grasp, but anyway, I'll, I'll continue. And that as our energetic body uh, functions, if it misaligns in some way due to some sort of shock in our lives, be it emotional or be it toxic through bad food or you know some other sort of poison, uh, or be it physical, emotional, physical, or toxic, that the energetic being will actually be dinted by that. It'll be it'll uh, be impacted, and then our physical being will follow that dent, and it cannot be healed. The physical being cannot be healed unless the emotional, unless the energetic being is first of all corrected. And so, the vibrational medicine, the vibrational healing. There's a whole range of ways that. Uh, modern man can use to actually embrace vibrational healing to then allow our bodies to um, physically and emotionally heal and follow the corrected pattern of our energy. Once our energy pattern is corrected, then our physical and emotional patterns can be corrected from that. And that's the learning path that we went down and Bill and I have both trained in that and I've now become a practitioner in that and the work that I find the most um, uplifting I guess is uh, people who come to me who are feeling sad or depressed maybe depressed maybe sad clouded by life and they usually after just a couple of hours leave feeling much lighter and that's quite wonderful and the other work that I love doing is with children who have had difficulty reading and I do give a case study in the book about a member of our extended family who did suffer considerably from uh, a form of dyslexia and difficult comprehension at school and all of the consequences of that and the impact of this discipline on clearing those energetic blockages and allowing the skull bones to just move absolutely minutely which then allowed the left and right brain synapses to then reconnect and then you know much good has come from that so it's been a quite fantastic uh, journey I ended up on that journey because I started to mix with farmers who connect with their landscape and understand nature and it's a pretty natural extension but I didn't realize it at the time it's pretty profound. How did you apply that to the soil? You mentioned that you, you applied that vibrational healing through sound um, to the soil. Yeah. Uh, maybe, I, maybe I said that. If I said that's not exactly how I intended it, but certain vibrational healing with the soil. In the process of um, working with this group of farmers and um, uh, looking constantly looking to find ways to extend our capacity to connect with nature and make the most of the soil that we have that we're working with. Um, we, we as a group moved and started to look at the discipline of geomancy, which is uh, energetic healing of the soil as compared with energetic healing of the human body. And so it's a very similar practice in the protocol that you go through in learning and listening and understanding what it is that's necessary and then, it's, then you adopt um, different uh, practices afterwards. So with the human body what we do is we play a range of vibrations that help the energetic patterns to heal and with the landscape we um, 
influence that in a range of different ways. And a lot of it comes back to the power of intent and um, and how you um, open up the blockages that are in the landscape by using, um, you know, you can use copper tools to clear blockages. You can use a range of different things uh, which the geomancy practitioners actually use. And Dr. Patrick McManaway is a... Um, a Scottish geomancy practitioner who uh, I've come to know very well and uh, I discuss his work quite a bit in the book and we've just come back from visiting him in Vermont and he's done amazing work in the United States and in the UK and now in Australia in the last four or five years with this group of farmers that I've been um, had a privilege to be involved with and so it's just another layer of... Um, you know, reconnecting and uh, using modern science in its own way. But Dr. McNanaway is very good at being able to explain. He's a medical practitioner, so he can use modern scientific language to explain ancient practices and he can draw those two together so that they make sense to us. And that has been a most wonderful path of learning, to be able to be in the company of someone who can actually bridge that gap for us and allow us to appreciate how wonderful those ancient practices were and um yeah and start to embrace that in our lives i actually i have i actually have to say as i'm listening to you it's so bizarre i I actually feel very moved by what you're saying for some reason it's like it's like you're talking a um a long lost language and it's like you're talking to the deeper essence of our hearts and souls and i I don't know why I'm feeling this, but it's like it's it's so evocative. I, I wish every person of the land, I'm sure that is why they originally became people of the land. They they there must have been this feeling, this this absolute belief in and in, in reverence and respect for the land that feeds us. Do you find that this the work and the and the the research and everything you're doing now, Margaret, is having that ripple effect on people in your community and in, in the same field of of work that you've been in? Yes, in short, I am absolutely I could not be happier about the level of feedback that I'm specifically receiving about the book. I've had farmers write in and say, thank you so much, Margaret, for being so open with your family's experience and thank you for the research and thank you, it's given me the motivation to understand, you know, why I do what I do. And others who've said, I did it because I knew it was right, but now I understand why it's right. And um, and the farmers who are engaging in the, um, you know, the vibrational healing and the geomancy disciplines, they are... Uh, they're just so engaged with everything around them and um, so positive and uplifted and can see future opportunities where other people can only see grey or even darker than grey. And it's quite wonderful to be able to be, um, I guess, to share in that personally and then to be able to contribute to that is a wonderful way for me to be able to say thank you to the opportunities that I've had now for the last 10 or 12 years and um, yeah it's it's pretty terrific I have to say I'm really blessed and grateful and yes it's <laughs> amazing yeah. and I, I mean the other section in the book I guess that we've sort of touched on here 
but not really is the role of the heart in all of this. Um, one of you did mention the heart and there is a lot of work done by the um, Heart Math Institute which I'm sure many people who might be listening now would be aware of and uh, I've uh, spent quite a bit of time looking at their work and I've included their work in the book because, oh, in fact, there's the Heart Math Institute and then there's a, there's a couple of things, a fellow by the name of Joseph Chilton Pierce who's an American social commentator really and um, he holds the view which I uh, accept. I, I guess I accept it because it makes sense to me. That's what we do in life. We accept things that make sense to us. He holds the view that uh, our heart, in fact, is our universal intelligence and that our brain is our individual intellect. And if you think about that, the next step of that is, for me, if our brain is our individual intellect, it's when we're functioning on our own, when we're thinking in our head. And if our heart is our universal intelligence, then it's when we are connected in the heart that we're also connected with everything else around us. And we know when we're in our heart and we are connected. We just, we just know. And then the work of the uh, HeartMath, Institute of HeartMath uh, really is able to validate that with a lot of um, biofeedback testing, which shows that when we are functioning in a state of gratitude and appreciation, the rhythms of our heart are in complete coherence with the other rhythms of our body. And when we're functioning in a state of frustration or anxiety, it's all out of whack and the coherence is not there. And the extension of that is our healing is less possible when we are functioning in a state of frustration and anxiety and our healing is more possible when we're functioning in a state of coherence with, between our heart and our other bodily functions. And the next step of that is that it's when we are in our heart that we are able to engage in these disciplines of vibrational medicine, vibrational healing and landscape geomancy because we must move to our heart in order to listen and feel and, and be in touch with what's around us. And then all of that comes together. It's just sort of like it all cascades then into one, in a sense, which sort of sounds a bit corny, but it all comes together. And it was all of this individual information that I was learning and tapping into and thinking, I want to know about that and I want to know about that, that made me go hang on here, I've got to do something with this and actually draw it together with our story to make sense for myself. And when I had done that and I'd first of all written the section of the book that is in fact our personal story, after our family had, um, had agreed that they were um, comfortable for me to continue and to include our personal story, then I embarked on the path of joining together all of this other pieces of information that we've been talking about for my own clarity and then for the clarity of others, for anybody who may learn from my experience. And the section about the heart is just so much at the centre of it. And, yeah. Margaret, I'm sorry, I just want to ask something practical in here because I'm sure for many of us listening to this, it's, it sounds so ethereal almost esoteric mm, and, mm. and it's kind of like give me the practical go-to 
you know, we, we get stressed. It is part of the human condition to be stressed and overwhelmed or in conflict or confusion and all of the things, especially when we're on this path of transformation or evolution. Yeah. So what would be your go-to on connecting into the heart yeah. uh, in order to have that clarity to then make better decisions moving forward? Yeah. Well, one of the go-tos that I think makes sense to a lot of people is something that gives you biofeedback where you can actually see what's happening in your body. And a tool that the Institute of HeartMath um, has developed is a tool that simply measures that heart rate variability that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. And you put a clip on your ear and you sit there for 10 minutes and you learn to breathe through your heart. And as you learn to breathe, inhale and exhale through your heart, you see the change in the rhythm that comes up on the indicator or you hear it in the music or whatever. You get direct feedback about your own body. And after I had experienced this, I was then able to determine what it felt like to be in coherence. And once I knew what it felt like to be in coherence, then I could do it myself. And I knew then when I was in a state that was going to be a healing state. And that was one of the simplest ways for me to actually um, understand how my body was responding when I already knew what the benefits would be. It was the way for me to understand how my body is responding and working out how my own breathing patterns and my own thought patterns of emotion. So you might, while you're breathing, you might think about um, smelling of red roses. You might imagine the appreciation you have for somebody you love deeply in your life. It's the thought of appreciation in in uh, conjunction with the, the deep, powerful breathing and the visualization of actually breathing through your through your heart, where the heart chakra is, just at the sternum, breathing in and breathing out in a slow, uh, purposeful pattern, and then you actually feel this calm that comes over your body. And for me, what I feel is, I feel it run down from my shoulders down my arms to my fingers. I just feel this real calm in my. That's where I'm the most sensitive is in my arms. And it's. I go, yeah, that's great. I can feel that now and I just stay in that space for 10 minutes. And if we just stay in that space for 10 minutes a day, it makes an incredible difference to the way we view the day. And, I mean, other people may meditate. Sometimes you can meditate and still not actually be in that really calm space because you can move in and out of meditation and we get a bit frustrated sometimes because we're supposed to think about nothing but we always think about something and this gives you something to think about that's pure and peaceful is the breathing in and the breathing out. It um, gives you just sort of a focus for our busy heads that seem to find it difficult to turn off completely. <laughs> I, think, I think we've all gotten calm and like I know my, my whole heart rate's just come down and... Um, <laughs> Because it's, it's it's funny, Margaret, and everybody knows on this podcast, um, it, uh, there's, we've had some challenges um, uh, with one of my children and I am in a state of frustration and anxiety all the time. Yes. And and that's me not having the, the problem, but yes. you just, you know, it's mm. just, you just, you forget this stuff and I thank you for reminding me 
um, about that. Even though I write my gratitude journal every day, that's for like, what, three minutes of the day that I'm writing that gratitude and then the rest of the day I'm like frustrated by the whole process and the anxiety around, you know, mm. seeing a young girl that's, you know, getting better but hurry up. Will you hurry up and do it now, please? You know, can we, can we just get over this? And, and it's really, it, and another one is Kimmy, you know, like um, we've learned so much in the last week, haven't we, Kim, with, with regards to things called ca- cavitations and yeah, I can hear you, you sniffling. Oh, no, it's just, it's so sweet just listening because, mm. you know, it has been a huge week, Margaret, and I think there's no accidents that you're, you're speaking to all of us. We've all, Karen included, and I just think we're all. It's it's the reminder of of what it really truly means to be connected, and what it really truly means to have a footprint on this planet, and the impact that we each have on each other's lives. And I, I, I just, I, I really thank you for all three of us because mm. it's, it's not been an easy week for any of us this week. No. <laughs> Well, I think, I think thank what you, you what you've highlighted here, Margaret, is that there's a harmony that exists amongst us as humans, the animals, the planet, the earth, the plants, the way that we comprehend what's going on around us and what's going through us and happening to us. I think that there's a there's a logic that goes beyond what science can sometimes explain, that's beyond the physicality of humanity into um, the non-physical. And when you talk about the vibrational healing and you talk about, you know, the energy body, I think that there's no human being on the face of the earth that can deny that that energetic body exists. And actually science agrees that it exists. They've been measuring us through the magnetic resonance imaging machine as a vibrational experience for years anyway. Mm. But I think that, um, you know, for the, for the normal human being walking around out there, you know, who is somebody who's curious, somebody who recognises that they're aware and you're aware that you're aware mm. and you don't know what that, that sensation is. You don't know what that feeling is that makes you uniquely you. But you know that it's beyond your body. Like if, if, if you cut off your hand, and I've got this little explanation, I say, if we cut off your hand, are you still there? The person yeah. says, yes. If we cut off your arm, are you still there? Yes. If we cut off both your legs, are you still there? Yes. If we cut off your ears and your nose, are you still there? Well, you'd be struggling a little bit, but yes, you'd still be there. So, you know, the, the essence of ourselves doesn't exist in the physicality of the body because clearly we can remove pieces, but the essence of the self still remains whole and intact. And I think the beautiful thing that you've highlighted for us today is that reality and potentially how to get in touch with it. And that it's not just existing within each of us. It's actually a harmony that exists in a unified context between earth and human and animal and plant. And it's all, all one and it's all the same and all pulsing and it's all vibrating together. And our job is to get in line with it to heal and to get in line with it in whatever way we possibly can to enhance our experiences here, you know. I, and I think the fact that we're so sick and we're so disconnected and we're so unplugged from each other is absolute evidence of how out of alignment we are. And if we do better, we would do better. But I think it's thanks to people 
like you um, that you bring a vehicle to bring awareness to the necessity to know better, you know, through your challenges and, and, and all of that. And I, I think it's beautiful. Sorry, I was a bit of a ramble <laughs> You always say the right things, Karen. You always... You always encapture what one of our, our beautiful guests say, especially someone like Margaret. You, you a ditto. <laughs> yeah, I agree, Karen. That was just, you did. You always encapsulate the right things to say, and like as Kim said, you know, I knew when I read Margaret's book, like she was half me, like with all the chemicals and the foods and things like that. And then I went, oh, my gosh, Karen is just going to love this. <laughs> and then, of course, Kim, you know, with chemicals in the skin and things like that. I just and, felt and, that. And breathing, um, the whole yeah, breath. the breathing. Oh. Yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I suppose, you know, going back to what are the practical steps that any individual can take when we become bombarded with all this information and you can go, oh, my goodness, there's just so much there. I guess it is just taking on one thing at a time that the one whatever resonates with you the most, just one little piece of information from any single experience that you can take on. And certainly for me, that's as much as I can do, take on one thing at a time and then eventually I draw it all together and do something else with it rather than feeling as though I have to achieve everything all at once and know that our life is a, a journey and my life will continue and I'll learn new things and have new experiences and be able to add those to the dots that I've joined so far. And, you know, even if it is in this case, if with respect to my book, you know, if somebody wanted to actually read it and learn more about what we've discussed, well, they could do that. If they thought that was too much for them, they could just register for updates of newsletters of either mine or of any of you ladies. And it's really just whatever is the piece of information that you're drawn to that becomes important to you, in, in my view, is, is the piece of information that you should work with. So, um, so how can people get in touch with you? Can you give us a plug for everything and where you are and what you're doing because you may get inundated? Oh, well, well that would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, my website <laughs> is margaretbridgeford.com.au. The book has only been out since July and I have been absolutely delighted. I've been over to the States for the last four weeks and uh, had a book launch over there and went and visited Joel Salatin, who's possibly known to many people as, uh, you know, one of the world's most wonderful farmers in this day and age. And he gave me an endorsement on the back of the book, which I was pretty chuffed about. And uh, so you can order the book by going to my website. There's a, you know, a click button. And you can register for my updates and newsletters and blogs on the website. And um, you can send me a message on the website. So I would be... um, And Facebook. Just delighted. And Facebook. So Margaret Bridgeford Author is my Facebook page. And Mm. uh, yes, yes. Thank you very much for asking. Yeah, and that's how I connected. it was, it was just the weirdest thing. But anyway, that's how I connected. I went and did a private message to Margaret and, and, um, and yeah, we, and I read your stuff first, Margaret. I was like reading all through it and seeing <laughs> what you were doing on the Facebook and your garden I saw and, um, some of the things that you were talking about. And, and just another. He, um, is in a, a new movie called Polyface. Polyface Farms? Polyface Farms, 
Polyface mm-hmm. Farms, along with an Australian family, uh, Darren Doherty and Lisa Heenan, and their children. And had and the change of you know the thinking that they had around farms because of Joel and it is up for I think it's up for an Academy Award in the documentary you just it is. need to vote for it so if anybody goes and, and um, get into the documentaries get let's get the docu- this documentary uh, on the uh, on the, the Academy Awards it would just be it would just be brilliant Cindy, Cindy you were cutting out as you were saying yeah. that just say the name of the of the DVD again darling um, let Margaret talk about it. Okay. It's it's actually called Polyface Farms. That's the name of the documentary. Mm-hmm. And the couple that Cindy mentioned have spent two years uh, on this documentary. And I spoke with Joel about it when we were there. And his comment, he didn't even realise it was going for the Academy Award. And I told him that it was. And he went, oh, is it really? And his comment was that he believes they have captured the essence of what his farming culture and um, aspirations for the for social aspirations are. He, um, he he believes they've actually got it right, which perhaps sometimes doesn't happen when people attempt to represent another person. He believes that they have got this one right. And so I think it will be a most brilliant documentary and will uh, serve extraordinary educational value to the world of food and health and farming and you know, all all things beyond. I think it's wonderful. And I, and I'd like to give a plug um, for that um, mo- uh, that documentary as to who actually came up with the extra cash to finish it because they had been on it for so long. And uh, um, Lisa Heenan and um, Darren Doherty were, you know, just going with they put everything into this and they just couldn't find those funds. And the beautiful Natasha Campbell McBride, um, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride put up the money to finish this. So I just, you know, I love the collaboration within the community of nutrition and farming and our health and there seems to be this collaboration now happening. We realise that if you do not have an interest in the production of your food, then you really don't have an interest in your health. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where we need to go and and start the old... um, what you were talking about, stop segregating the animals and plants and mm. um, get the soils well again, get them rich in minerals and get – there's that plant, that, that that thing on that plant that you talked about and I can't remember the name of it, Mark. The mycorrhizal fungi. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's a complicated word. <laughs> I want lots of them on my farm. <laughs> yes, you do. And, in fact, I got a beautiful photograph through the other day from one of these farmers who practices the um, – Alan Savory farming methods and actually they're biodynamic farmers. They sent through these fairy rings and so fairy rings are large circles that form in the grassland where there's a, a where it's richer, it's a darker green and it's longer than the rest of the grassland around it. And where all those fairy rings were, there were mushrooms, which is a fungi. And ah. so having heard my explanation, they then sent these photographs through going, look at this, we've got our own, you know, happening in the landscape. And they were so excited <laughs> about their, their fairy rings. So. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Well, <laughs> well, I think we could keep talking to you, but I must tell mm. you girls, the time is up. So is our beautiful Karen there to, to give us our summary and, and just as she's coming back, thank you so much, Margaret. You've just... Yeah, it's been very, very special. Thank you. 
My pleasure. And thank you, Cindy, for uh, offering for me to do the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. And Karen's not there, Kim, so you're finishing up because you're better at it than me. Oh, I'm going to make you do it. No, 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 no. Oh, my gosh, I've heard it so many times, but I always go, oh, how did you do that? (laughs) Well, if you have enjoyed this podcast as much as we have and have got as much out of it as we three certainly have, then please go to the wellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat and make sure you post your comments, any feedback, any questions for Margaret or any thoughts around her incredible visionary, intuitive, and very, I would even say, spiritual work that she's been doing to reconnect mind, body, and soul back into what we call earth. And I say earth with great reverence. So if you would love to post a comment, please do so there or go to the Facebook page or the wsfacebook.com forward slash up for a chat. And remember, you too can become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. So make sure you share this with people that you think would enjoy hearing this information. Make sure you go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. We love seeing those. And also make sure that you definitely hand on these links to people because it is thanks to your downloads that we will keep bringing these to you. Um, And we must remember that, that the more people that we can share this information with, the greater the ripple effect, the greater the impact. So on that note, you beautiful Up For A Chat listeners, take care of yourselves, have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you on the ride. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.